Um, we want to say welcome to you. Um, what a day and age do we live in that we can be gathered together in spirit, right? It's not the same as being in person, but we can be gathered together in this way um, because of modern technology. This is awesome. Um, in fact, uh, first service, um, we, we've already had, um, what, close to 3,000 people um, that have been able to engage and worship with us so far. It's probably even um, more than that, and so uh, this, is, this is fun. Um, so anyways, hey, if you are tuning into SCC, um, maybe for the first time, maybe you don't know much about our church, um, and uh, you just saw someone share it on their Facebook, we want to say welcome to you. Thank you for um, tuning in. Uh, my name's Brandon. Um, I'm the worship pastor here at the church, and uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to dig into God's Word um, and, uh, and see what it says. Uh, we've been in this uh, series called This Is Us, where we've been looking at why we exist as a church. That's our mission. We've been looking at what we hope to accomplish in the next several years, uh, who, we, who we want to become, what we want to do. That's our vision. And then we've been looking um, and unpacking our values as well. Our values are uh, who we want to, to, to be, what kind of people we want to be, what kind of lenses we want to look through, what kind of DNA we want to have. And uh, this, this morning's uh, value is on joyful service. So what do we mean by joyful service? We simply mean this. Um, we will serve others with our time, our talents, and our treasures. But how will we do that? We will do that with a generosity so large, so generous, that it can only be deemed as reckless. And it only makes sense in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, let's dig in. Now before, um, so, so a lot of our time is not going to be how to and you know, do this, do that, practical application, because w we know that, that behavior modification in itself just doesn't work. doesn't work. Um, if you try to quit doing something simply by modifying your behavior and not addressing the heart, it's going to be short-lived because we're, we're sinful people, we're broken people. And so in order to really unpack this value, it's, it's, it's way more beyond just what we do. It has everything to do with the heart and our understanding of God's grace, I'm in the way that God loves us and accepts us, okay? And so, uh, hey, listen, if you are not familiar um, with YouVersion, it's one of the most popular Bible apps, I would encourage you to download it. If you have YouVersion, uh, pull it up right now. Under live events, you'll see Shelbyville Community Church. Uh, we, are, we are on there. If you want to see an outline and kind of follow along verse by verse without turning to each individual place, in your Bibles, you're welcome to do that. Uh, but we're going to start off this morning in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, okay? So let's uh, read along here. It says this, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And then it says, I love this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Okay? Now, the, the, what I want us to take away from this is, yes, we are children of God. That is our identity. That's what measures our worth and our value. But look at the line before this, this is so important to understand. It says, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. What I don't want you to hear when you read that, which I think is, is commonly mistaken, is this. In, or, in order to be born again, I must practice righteousness. That is a by works you have been saved message. Um, it's, it's false. I would hope that you would read. Um, I would hope that you would read. Because I'm born of him, I practice righteousness. In other words, because I am already a child of God, righteousness is just what I do because I'm part of the family. Okay? That's so important to understanding um, if, we're, if we have any hopes of living out this value um, to its fullest. And so I, I want to share a story a very personal story um, of what my wife and I have been going through and now what our family, I can say that, have, have gone through the last few years. So uh, when, my, when my wife and I um, first got married, um, almost 10 years ago, we 
didn't want to have kids. We just didn't have that desire. We both served in student ministry, and we said, hey, we'll let those be our kids. We just didn't have that, that desire. And uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it's Psalm 37.4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I used to mean that that means um, that if I get really excited about God, he's just going to give me everything that I want. But actually what it means is that as we draw closer to God, as we delight in him, as we grow in our relationship with him, he literally infuses desires into our hearts that then he fulfills. How beautiful is God in that way that the things that um, he would put in us to desire, so there's things that we want, he gives us as we simply delight in him, as we draw close to him and grow in our relationship with him. And so a couple years into um, our marriage, all of a sudden we wanted to have kids. And we we're like, what? Where did this come from? So we happened to mention it to a couple families we were friends with, doing life with, and they're like, oh my goodness, in this perfect world, we'll have kids too. We've been thinking about it. We'll go for it. And we can all raise our families together. And so um, four and a half years later, they had two and three kids, and, and we had many months of painful dis disappointment. And so um, we had a chance to get away and go on a vacation, and we prayed, and we listened for God's voice, and we processed a lot during that time, and we decided that, 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 that we were going to pursue kiddos via adoption. Uh, we felt like that's what the Lord was leading us to. So we, got, uh, we, we looked at all the different areas that uh, you could adopt through. And very clearly, I mean, our hearts broke for foster kids. The system's overrun. There's so many kids in this country, in this state. We said, that's it. Even though it's probably the most difficult, the most risky, uh, we will become licensed foster parents and uh, start fostering kids in hope of adopting some. And so that's what we did. Uh, and I'll, I'll never forget it, January of, of 2016, we took in our first placement, and we knew that we probably wouldn't get to adopt these kiddos, but that was okay. We were still giving them a great uh, home to live in, and so uh, we loved on them, and at the same time thought, hey, this desire to have one of our own kids is still in our hearts. God, what are you doing so we went ahead and went to a fertility specialist and thought, hey, maybe he can just give one of us a shot and all of a sudden everything's going to work. And so we went there and they evaluated um, and, and they said, it quickly went from, can you give us a shot to God, would you save my wife's life? Because all of the tests, all of the scans, everything indicated that she had ovarian cancer. And that got scary really quick. And so a couple months later, she went through um, a big surgery. Um, the church started praying like crazy. Uh, they took out a ton of stuff. Um, and what was awesome is we believe God healed her because when they took out all of that stuff and they tested it, it was all benign. Praise be to God, who we believe, when all the tests were indicating cancer, um, healed my wife of cancer. Um, and at that point, they said, you probably will never be able to have kids. And at that point, I was like, I don't care because my wife is alive. All right, that's what matters right now. Uh, at the time, one of the, the two kiddos we had moved out, we took in two more that we could maybe adopt. They were called legal risk. In other words, um, they still weren't sure if we were going to have a chance to adopt them. There were still some family ties. And anyways, so we pressed on. And at one point, I had a wife who was healing and recovering from surgery. And we were caring for three kids. And it was a wild, wild season where we learned a lot about dying to self um, and loving like Jesus. And then... Um, Fast forward to the following summer. Well, no, before that, I got to share this part of the story. So a few months later, my wife is healed. And the doctors had told us we probably couldn't have kids. You see where this is going. So we found out that we for sure could adopt these two kiddos that were in our home. And uh, we have a weekend lined up where we're going to tell them, you know, Brandon and Pam are going to be their new mommy and daddy. And two days before that is my, my, the beginning of my weekend. My wife normally let me sleep in, catch up on some rest. Well, she shakes me. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm just trying to like 
clear like my eyes like you know they're kind of blurry and they're zooming in and all I see is a stick that says positive and I'm like what and so um, so so I remember speeding down to CVS and I got like three different brands of tests and I'm like take these now and every one of them came back positive and so what so God what are you doing it turned out to be a difficult pregnancy. Uh, several days later, we thought we lost um, the child, and then we discovered that we didn't. And okay, so the following summer, I'll never forget this. We find ourselves in a courtroom where we'd invited all of our friends and family, and um, people were packed in there hip to hip. I mean, it was, it was packed. The judge said that it was the most people he'd ever seen um, at a hearing like this. And people were standing outside, people were standing in the courtroom because they're, you know, they'd run out of seats. And to my left, we had our two-week-old child. Um, uh, my wife, you know, was standing there caring for him, rocking him in his little carrier. To my other side uh, were, were our foster kiddos. They were, they were just excited because they had been told that, you know, they were going to be part of the family for good and they didn't have to move to another home or anything like that. And so, you know, they're kind of giddy. They're, you know, being five and six-year-olds, putting stickers on their face, you know, having all kinds of fun. So um, there is this moment where the judge looks at us and he says, now's your last chance to give him back or to not go through with this because when I pound this gavel, things will be permanent. And we said, judge, we're invested in these kids. We want to do this. And in my head, I'm thinking, my goodness, like they can be in a, a safe, godly, loving home for the rest of, you know, their, their childhood. Um, you know, the, the, they're going to be saved in so many ways. God, thank you for using us in this way. And so the judge took his hammer and he, he, hit, he, he, he said, with the power that I have, and it was a blur from there. It was this surreal moment. And he hit the gavel, and the, the, the courtroom just erupted in praise. Yeah! Just erupted in praise. And this out-of-body experience happened where all of a sudden I'm processing like, wait, these kids are mine? I can breathe out for a little bit? It's permanent? Like nothing can take them away from me? This is for real? Why is this warm fluid running down my face right now? I think it's coming from my eyes. Like there was this, this out-of-body experience. And God taught me so much from that moment on about being his child. In the Bible, he says that he adopted us. It says we are his children. He calls us children of God, and so we are. Do you know how encouraging those words are? Here's what God taught us. So Andy and Reese are our two older boys now. And uh, they go home, and we, you know, they're old enough to start doing chores. And so we teach them how to vacuum. We teach them how to wash dishes. We teach them how to tie their shoes. We teach them how to, you know, take out the trash if it's not too heavy. Uh, we teach them how to clean up the sink, you know, when they're done brushing their teeth. It's amazing the kind of mess boys can make. And um, we're, we're teaching them all of these things. So why are we teaching them to do these things? And why are they doing them? We're teaching them. We're equipping them with skills and abilities and material items because they're part of the family. We're equipping them with these things so that they can serve the family because since they're part of the family, what we do as a family is we serve one another and we keep up with the house. Well, there is this moment in my life as a child that I said yes to God and the heavens erupted with praise. The judge pounded the gavel. He said, Jesus just took the penalty for you. And now I'm adopting you. Here's your certificate of adoption. And the angels just went wild. And I can just imagine, I've got this picture in my head of my heavenly father. This warm liquid is coming from his eyes. And he's like, welcome home, my son, my little boy. Welcome to the family. I am never giving you back. You are permanently mine. And so what did he do? He gave me skills and he gave me abilities and he gave me material possessions in order to serve his family and the mission of the family. Guys, Andy and Reese, they don't do these things so that they get to stay in the family. They're not operating out of a by, by works, I get to stay in the family kind of gospel, so to speak. No, they do those things because they're already in the family. So when it says, 
you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, we, we do these things because we're part of the family, okay? So there's two things that the human heart desires, and that is love and acceptance. Love and acceptance. Why? Because God hardwired within us when he created the human race to desire those things and to ultimately find infinite love and infinite acceptance in him, in being with him. Okay? But what do we do? We sinned. We betrayed God. We've, we've, we've fallen. And so we're in this fallen world and we hear constantly to our left and to our right, your spouse is better than you. Your sibling is better than you. You are a disposable worker. You um, should be more like so-and-so. Um, I wish you were as pretty as so-and-so. Um, and you tell yourself, I'm not as pretty as so-and-so. I'm not as handsome as so-and-so. My resume isn't as attractive as, attractive as this person. Um, I don't have the skills and abilities that that person has. I wish I did. Uh, we constantly feed comparing ourselves to the people to our left and to our right who are so different than us, who God has given completely different wiring in each one of us, right? He's, he's made each of us uniquely, but we compare ourselves to those people and, what we, and, and we're looking for love and acceptance and we're comparing ourselves and we're not feeling loved and accepted. So what that does is it gives birth to insecurity in our lives. That's what insecurity is, is comparing yourself horizontally, side to side, and seeing, I am not as worthy of love and acceptance as them and as that person. Insecurity takes root in our lives. And what do we do at that point? We, we start operating out of self-preservation. In other words, um, if, 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 if I only have some love and some, some acceptance, if I have any of it at all, then I'm going to hold on to that. Self-preservation, when we start operating out of it, it is blinding. And it is so blinding that it is damaging ourselves and it is damaging people around us and we don't even realize it. The other thing that it does is it stunts our growth. You cannot grow spiritually. You cannot grow um, in, 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 in any godly way if your whole agenda is, please don't hurt me. I am, I've already, like, I'm already lacking enough love and acceptance. Don't break me, right? Like this mentality that we can get into. Do you know what, do you know what insecurity breeds? Just like vomiting is a symptom of the flu, insecurity gives birth to pride. Just like vomiting is a symptom of the flu, pride is a symptom of insecurity. Because pride says, look, if I can't get my love and acceptance simply from being who I am, then I'm going to prove to other people horizontally, to my left and to my right, that I am worthy of love and acceptance. So what do we do? We compare. I am going to be the best. I am going to work the hardest. I am going to prove to them that I have worked the hardest and that I am the best. I am going to do everything I can to be the prettiest. And if I'm surrounded by anybody else that I cannot be prettier than, more handsome than, more talented than, more valuable than, more loved than, then I'm going to find people who will show everyone around me that I am better. Your focus and who you hang out, hang out with becomes who you are better than so that you have some false sense of love and acceptance. Again, we operate out of self-preservation and it binds us up and it damages us and it stunts our growth and it damages other people. Guys, that is not how God wants us to live. That is not how he wired us to get our love and our acceptance. No. Listen to this. In Ephesians 2.28, it gives us the answer. It says, For by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Instead of a horizontal focus, we should um, compare vertically. 
here is me and here is God. We should embrace humility. What is humility? Step one of humility, compare yourself to God. Compared to God, what is my level of worth? Love and acceptance. I deserve death. Ouch. But it's true. We're sinful. God created us to be with him. But we betrayed him. We walked away from him. We sinned. We said, God, forget you. I want to be my own God. I want to be in control of my own life. I don't want to be with you. We're denying the very reason that God created us, which is to be in a loving relationship with him. We deserve death. And we deserve death because God is a just God, which is a good thing, right? Justice is a great thing. But because of our sin, compared to God, we deserve death. Wrap your head around that. It's true. If you, are, if you think that you're above that, guys, the reality is no. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And here's where it gets awesome. Next level in exercising humility is acknowledging not what we've done. It has nothing to do with what we've done. It has everything to do with what God did. The one that we hurt and betrayed and walked away from said, I still want to be with them. I'm going to make a way for them to be with me again. I am going to make a way where justice is served and I can be with my created again. Who does that? So what he did, guys, this is the gospel. Listen, if you're tuning into church because you are in, um, you're just feeling like, I, I just need answers and I need hope in the middle of this COVID-19 you know, uh, season, and so I'm tuning in and maybe there's some kind of encouraging message for me. Look, I want to share with you what our entire faith is anchored on. It's the hope of Jesus. See, compared to God, we deserve death. And so what did God do? He sent his son. His son was perfect. His son had no sin. And he died a terrible death in order to pay the penalty, to take on the, the consequences, the punishment, to, to pay for us to be free of all of our sin, to pay the penalty so that if we give our lives to God, if we say, God, may your will be, will be done in our lives, we can be with God again, not just in this lifetime, but literally forever. What? Who would do that? Think about it. This is actually really hard to wrap your head around. Why would the person who was hurt give his son who is perfect for people who have hurt him? It seems kind of reckless, doesn't it? It seems overly generous, doesn't it? You see where I'm going with this, don't you? God served us in the ultimate, most generous way he could. He gave us an opportunity to be with him, and he said, follow me. You have eternal life. The next step in humility is receiving God's grace and living out of it. Guys, God's grace doesn't make sense. It's hard to comprehend, which is a lot of the reason that we look left and right horizontally, and we look for love and acceptance in these places because, quite frankly, we just have a hard time processing the grace of God. God, it doesn't make sense. I can understand mercy. I can understand mercy. Mercy is I hit you and you forgive me. You say, you know what? Um, you owe me a debt. You deserve justice, but I release you of that debt. I um, release you from, 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 from justice in this regard. Mercy makes sense, right? That's, that's being a nice person. We've all heard that. But grace, grace is I hit you and you give me a cookie? Like, what? It doesn't make sense. God's grace is so hard to comprehend in that way. But guys, it is real. Who loves like that? Who accepts like that? It's infinite. It doesn't make sense. I can't comprehend it. I, can't, I can barely comprehend forever that there is a life after this life where we don't have to struggle with all the troubles of this world and we get to be with God forever. Why? Because of what he's done for us. It doesn't make sense to a lot of us. It's so hard to comprehend in our limited minds, but it's true. You are part of the family. 
You are part of the family. You are infinitely loved and infinitely accepted. You don't have to do anything to try to maintain your salvation because God is the one that adopted you. However, we are part of the family. And God has assigned each one of us chores, duties, assignments, responsibilities. And he expects us to fulfill those, not so we stay in the family. I'm going to repeat that because repetition works, and I want, to, I want it to stick. If this doesn't stick, we have no hope of, being, uh, of fulfilling this value of joyful service. Not because, so, so we're not doing these things to stay in the family. We're doing these things because we're a part of the family. And whatever those assignments are, those chores are, those jobs are, those responsibilities are, he has given you skills and abilities and material items to fulfill every single one of those. He's already given, given them to you. And as you, tr- as you prove to God that you can be responsible with a little, he'll give you more and he'll call you to be that much more responsible with it. And what you'll see is you'll see the hope of Jesus spread like crazy. You'll, see the jo- you'll experience the joy of the Lord like crazy. It's beautiful what happens So, joy is found in releasing control. Joy is found in realizing your lack of control and choosing to trust God. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But what I want you to hear is this. Um, Humility also produces something. Just like insecurity produces pride, humility produces produces confidence. And I'm going to go on a rabbit trail here because uh, this is something I'm very passionate about the church understanding. Listen, there are a lot of Christians who are trying their hardest to come across as humble, but really they're coming across as insecure to the world and they're light. If we're called to be a light to the world, the light of the world is not really that bright. We're throwing ourselves under the bus. We're self-deprecating in a way where we're like, I am worth nothing I am just dirt. Praise God that I have a chance to barely get into heaven. No. If your heavenly father was standing right next to his little girl or his little boy hearing them say that, he would be like, have you heard nothing I've said? Have you seen nothing that I've done for you? You are treasured. You are my most prized possession. I love you. I cherish you. I adore you. I died for you so that you can be in the family. Have confidence that you are infinitely loved and infinitely accepted regardless of what people say to your left and to your right. They don't get to choose what your love and acceptance is. And as you really let that truth sink in and you, you, you exercise the discipline of, 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 of thinking of that truth often and praising God for that truth often, what that starts to do is manifest confidence in your life where all of a sudden people see this person is like a rock. This person is unshakable. This person has real life struggles. But man, there's something different about them and I want to know what it is. I want to know what they have. So I can say, God has given me the assignment of leading people in worship through music. So he's given me gifts and, a talent, and talents as a musician, as a vocalist. And in in, in, in following along with my assignment, with my chores in the family of God, I lead other people in worship. I can confidently think and know I'm a good worship leader. That might sound like I'm starting to get like braggadocious, but guys, like my father gave me that. I didn't say I'm the best. I didn't say I'm, I'm, I'm better than so-and-so or I'm the best around. No, why would I think like that? unless I was struggling with insecurity and pride. But if my heavenly father gave me these gifts and I've engaged in them for a long time and I've grown in them, I can have confidence. Therefore, I don't have any insecurity or the pursuit of, 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 of the praise of man um, going into leading worship. I just know God has given me these abilities and now I'm gonna use them to serve the family. Here we go. Praise be to God. Sing it with me. What assignments, what material items What skills, what abilities has God given you that he is calling you to serve with? Everyone has them, everyone. 
And listen, we are called to steward those things. We are stewards, not owners. What's the difference? An owner can call the shots with what they have. An owner can give something away or sell something at whatever price. An owner doesn't have to report to someone about what they have because it's theirs. A steward, we are stewards. We need to remember that everything that we have is on loan from God. He's given all of it to us in order to serve the family of God, which is serving others. It is loving others and serving others. It is giving away to others the same recklessly generous way that our Heavenly Father does so with us. And just to emphasize the point, listen, Andy and Reese, they do those things. They've told me multiple times, Dad, I want to be just like you. Our posture, our mindset, our heart cry should be, Father, I want to be just like you. And we make that our standard for how we love and how we serve and how we give and how generous it is. Remember, in the world's eyes, it looks reckless. It looks stupid to some. Like they don't comprehend it. Why would you give up all of this control that you have in this lifetime and give so much away? But guys, we are the hope of the world. We are the light of the world. And it is through our reckless generosity that people will know the hope of Jesus. So we are stewards, we are not owners. And we're called to steward three things. Those three things are our time, our talents, and our treasures. Say it with me. Our time, our talents, and our treasures. All right, everyone at home, I see you. Actually, I don't see you, but I'm saying I see you so that you feel a ton of pressure right now to say it with me. All right, here we go. It is our time, our talents, and our treasures. Those are the three areas that we talk about often as a church, areas that we are called to steward and that we need to give away. To ser- we're called to serve other people with often. So let's, vote, let, let's start with our time. In Psalm 90, verse 12, it says, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And then in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, it says, Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Our time is a gift from God that he is trusting us to steward well. Now, God is very specific. He said to his disciples as he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, He said, it's not for you to know when I'm coming back, but it is for you to know that I expect you to steward the time and the mission that I've given you to go and make disciples of all nations, to serve, to love like me. It is your responsibility to do that before I come back. And so if if we don't know when, guys, Jesus calls us to a sense of urgency in that. And it's not the kind of urgency where we're saying, all right, I'm going to work 144 hours a week. No, it's, it's the kind of urgency that says, like, use every moment you can to serve generously, recklessly, like your heavenly Father serves. Steward your time. You won't have any energy at all to, do, to, 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 to serve or to experience any kind of joy if you are not spending time with the Father. So spend time with the Father regularly and often. That should be priority in your life because it is out of our relationship with God, the feeling that we get in spending intimate time with our Heavenly Father that gives us all of the energy to joyfully and selflessly serve and give to other people. But it also looks like fellowshipping and worshiping together. And then it looks like those hours of giving yourself away, serving, just like your heavenly Father does. Okay? So that's our time. Our talents. In 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. 
in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen, when God called me to ministry, so my dream was to be a famous singer-songwriter. I wanted to travel the world, write albums, become a millionaire, be super popular. Like, that was it. And I was going to do those things in the name of Jesus. That's what I wanted. I wanted, I wanted fame. I wanted popularity. When, when God called me to ministry, I'll never forget, it was so clear. He said, Brandon, I want you to use the talents and the skills I have given you for my glory, not your own. And so a couple things happened. Like, I, I just said, all right, God, I'm, I'm all in. It was very clear that it was him speaking to me. God, I'm all in, and that's why I'm, I'm here right now. This is where he's led me to. But then also, it just fully clicked in that moment. I exist for the glory of God. My purpose in life is God's glory. And the best way that I can give glory to God is to be in an intimate, loving relationship with him, to be a child in the family of God and to do the assignments that he's called me to do. Everything that we do should be for the glory of God. So measure the ways that you are using your talents, your skills, your abilities. Do they reflect that you, are, that you are with no strings attached other than for people to know the love of Jesus, giving away like your heavenly father gives away and clearly the way that he is recklessly generous is your standard as well? Or would people look at the way that you are stewarding your talents saying he's chasing his own glory or he's not really engaged in serving the kingdom of God? How would people respond? I don't say that so that you start comparing yourself to other people. I say that as kind of a, a gauge, a barometer, if you will, of whether or not your motives are pure and you're, do, you're, you're, you're serving, you're using, you're using your talents for the right reasons. Listen, if you don't generously serve and generously love others in the name of Jesus, you are dishonoring God. If I say to Andy, Andy, take this vacuum cleaner and vacuum the living room and the family room, and he doesn't do it, he just dishonored me. If we don't use what God has given us with, trusted us with, and we don't use it, or we use it for our glory instead, it's dishonoring to God, it's sin. Our treasures. Okay, so there's a story I want to share here. Uh, my wife and I, uh, the, at the church that we served um, at in, um, in Michigan, uh, we, we both served in um, student ministries. I was on staff with student ministries and young adults. And um, uh, there was, well, what we would do regularly. So, so we didn't make a lot of money. My wife was working uh, full-time. I was still in Bible college. Uh, we made a whopping 24 grand a year. Um, and so we just had to choose to steward what we had very carefully, be very frugal with what we had. And I remember having this coat. And uh, it was a wool coat. It was a gift to me. I loved it. It was super warm. It looked very fancy. I felt like I was dressing way more upscale than what I really was. And uh, I love this coat. Well, so I, I go on the student retreat and I have it draped over my luggage at the airport. We're getting on the plane and it falls off my luggage, but I don't realize it. I go to put on my coat when I'm on the plane, because it's getting kind of cold, the plane starts pulling out and the coat's not there and I can't get off the plane at this point. So I immediately, uh, well, after I landed, called to the airport and said, hey, there's this coat. No one knew anything about it. They couldn't find it. It wasn't lost and found. I lost the coat. I was super disappointed. So I went back to kind of the, the, the tattered, you know, winter coat that I had before receiving this coat that was kind of worn, but had a lot of rips in it. So it let a lot of cold air in. And if you've never been part of a Michigan winter before, uh, zero degrees is, is like real life uh, most of the time, um, at least when I was, uh, when I was a kid, um, it, it was. So anyways, so what my wife and I would do before we had kids is in our 600 square foot apartment, we would invite a few different students at a time to hang out, play games, get a chance to speak life into them, to invest in them. And it was awesome. Like, we, we felt like God was using us in a big way there. And so uh, one of those students was Greg. Greg, he would show up to youth group most Sundays and Sunday mornings, most Sundays, and all he would have on was a zip-up hoodie over his 
t-shirt in a Michigan winter. And every time I asked him, like, you know, I mean, at first I kind of picked on him, like, bro, where's your coat? He goes, oh, I don't need a coat, right? And uh, later on, I found out that his, his family struggled. Um, and uh, so anyways, fast forward a little bit. I lost this coat. My wife and I are shopping a Black Friday sale, which was, you know, when, when you make as much as we did, it was like Black Friday is amazing, even though it sounds like a sin, right? Um, so we were shopping and we went from store to store to store. We're trying to find a replica of this coat for, you know, a decent amount of money, this coat that I lost. And uh, we finally found it at Sears because most of the coats we were finding were one or two hundred dollars on sale and we're like oh man this is just not going to work wow no wonder this you know coat was considered so stylish because it's super popular so anyways so we find it at sears for 40 bucks almost an exact replica it's just a slightly different shade we're like yeah the coat and even though this is 40 dollars, which is a lot of money um this will be my, my big gift for the year. So we buy this coat, I wear it once, and then uh, we invite a few students over and Greg is one of those and he walks in in the middle of winter and he doesn't have anything but a zip up hoodie on over his t-shirt. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me what to do. You know where this is going. So we hung out, we played games for a little bit. We had a chance to encourage them. I pulled him aside and I said, do you like this coat? He's like, wow, yeah, that's a sharp-looking coat. I'm like, I want you to have this coat. He's like, what? No, I can't take that coat. No, I really want you to have this coat. Here, try it on. He tries it on. It fits him better than it fit me. He said, you keep that coat. You stay warm this winter. Wow, thank you so much. This is awesome. So most every time on Sunday morning and on Sunday night, um, when I saw Greg walk in to youth group, to church, he was wearing this coat in the winters. For the next three years, I got to hang out with him um, as he was in student ministries, and he was wearing this coat. We went on student retreats where we're, we're tobogganing, right? And, and he's wearing his wool coat, coat like, going, I mean, awesome. Every time I saw him, I experienced the joy of the Lord. Every time I saw him in his coat, it was almost like God was like, yes, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's some joy because you were faithful and you served well. Guys, side note, if you give away, you are not responsible for how what you gave away is steward, stewarded. When it leaves your hands, that's between that person and God. You are being faithful in giving, regardless of what happens to it. And you get your reward from God. You get your well-done, good and faithful servant. And you get his doses of joy. I had such a dose of God's joy every time I saw Greg after that. So, it was a spontaneous moment where I gave. And it continued to give me joy for years to come. Our treasures, in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints. So Paul is giving instruction as to what the church should do financially to make things um, easy and make sure people who were doing the work of the Lord um, were provided for. He says, um, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Okay, so he instructs them, like, hey, when I show up, like, I don't want to have to be like, guys, please give money to the mission. Like, no, you've already set it aside first at the beginning of the week. And, um, and it's there and it's ready for them. So tithe is a reality um, today. Many people think that, um, and, and tithe is not, is not um, uh, time or talents. Tithe, when we talk about tithe, we're talking about material possessions. Jesus made it very clear where your money is at, where your treasure is at, your heart is at as well right? So if you are not investing in something, you're going to be hard-pressed to buy into the mission of something or the value of something, okay? So um, tithe is a real thing today. A lot of people will say, um, no, tithe is for the Old Testament. Giving the first 10% of everything that you have um, is, 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 you know, old school and old covenant, and it doesn't apply to this new covenant. But here's the deal. Tithing was actually seen way before the old covenant was established, and tithing is continued um, is actually spoken about in, in the book of Hebrews. We'll read that in a second. Encouraging people to continue on in the practice to support um, the, the mission of the local church. 
And so uh, in Hebrews 7, 1 through 2, um, uh, there's this guy named Mel- Melchizedek, and it says this, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, he met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. Guys, the Bible is rated R. If you have not, especially the Old Testament, if you have not read it, oh my, my goodness, like, <laughs> yeah, buckle up. Okay, so, um, so returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, and to him, Abraham, so hear this, apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he's also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. So Abraham um, apportioned to him 10% of everything. So, so, so what the, the writer of Hebrews is saying is even to this day, we should respond like Abraham and continue to give 10%, if not more. When I started giving a full 10% of what we had, even when finances were extremely tight, I was so bought into the vision of the church. And guys, I want you to hear this, right? So, so if you're tuning in, I don't want you to hear that we're a church who's just begging, begging for money. No, there's a reason that we talk about giving and it should be normal conversation. And so I'm gonna try to make this as um, uh, less awkward and weird as I can, but I want you to hear me. It has been times like this with this COVID-19 pandemic happening. Um, it has been times like this that the church has shined the brightest. When the church was the healthiest and things like this happened, it was the church, the sons and daughters from the family of God who stepped up and served those in need and gave even more generously when everyone is looking at them thinking, hey, you should start operating out of self-preservation in order to survive this. No, they said, I'm going to be like my heavenly father and I'm going to give because I know in Matthew 6, he says that if he cares for the birds of the air and provides for the flowers of the field, how much more does he care for you? So I can trust God to provide for me and I can be generous in a time of need with other people in hopes that the gospel would move forward and people would have the eternal freedom and grace that I have. Why? Because I'm part of the family. We're, that's reality today. We're in crisis. People are listening. People who don't know God. Maybe that's, maybe that's you right now. People who don't know God and have never taken this seriously are starting to, 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 to you know, their, their ears tickling, their hearts moving. Something's happening in their mind. Their mind's racing because we're looking for hope. We're looking for some kind of security or hope or something consistent where we can say, I will survive this. I will get through this. Christians, God doesn't promise prosperity and success in material ways or, or any of the ways that, you know, a lot of times that you, you hear on this side of heaven. Actually, he says, look, you're going to face many trials, but take courage, take heart. I have overcome the world. In other words, he's saying, this is a blip in all of time. And pretty soon, you're not going to have any of the cares of the world anymore. And you're going to be completely free, all, free of all of those things as you get to spend eternity with me. Beautiful. So in today, in the reality of the crisis of today, Christians, my challenge to you is don't clam up and operate out of self-preservation. Now, I'm not saying that, hey, just stop social distancing altogether. No, that's one of the most compassionate and caring things you can do right now. But there are many ways that you can still serve and you can be a light to the world in these times. Drop off food and toiletries to the elderly, those who are most susceptible to this. And give. Give of your treasures. I want to be real here. It's not a matter of riding the fence, church. You're going to fall on one side or the other. If we fall on one side and we stop giving and we embrace self-preservation as a church, this local church is going to struggle to survive. It's just the reality. Because we count on people to give in order to support the mission of what God is doing here. But the beautiful thing is, if we recklessly and generously give like our Heavenly Father and we fall on that side of the fence, think about what will happen. 
we're going to look back at this small blip in history and we are going to note how hundreds and thousands of people trusted their lives to the Lord. And we have that many more people to count as brothers and sisters. And we have fulfilled the mission of the church that much more. And the glory of God is in full display that much more. People will know infinite love and infinite acceptance, that thing that they have been pursuing all of their lives and haven't been able to find in anything else. They will find that in the hope of Jesus if we give recklessly and generously like our heavenly father does. That's what we're called to do with our talents, our treasures, our time. We must be generous like our fathers in all three areas. And I'm going to say just a couple things. Uh, Mike and Sarah, you can come on up. We're going to close in in worship by singing another song. I want to say this. You've got to understand, serving the way that we're called to serve, serving like our heavenly father, serving is giving away. If you are serving the way that God has called you to serve, if you are serving like your assignment in the family of God, it should feel like it costs you something. It's not just chasing a tax break. You should feel it. But you know what? Just like Greg's coat, when you see the impact that what you've given away, what you've sacrificed, the difference that it's making in people's lives eternally, you're, it's almost like as, as you, every time you give away, you are securing these little pockets, these little stories of just constant joy. So God calls us to give, yes, spontaneously like Greg's coat, but he also calls us to give routinely. At the beginning of every one of my paychecks, the first 10% automatically comes out and goes into this church's fund. Why? Because I want my heart to, for, to be forever bought in to what this church is accomplishing, which is the mission of the family of God. And I want people to know the love of Jesus. And so I do that as a spiritual discipline, and I do that to support the loud message of this church. Serving is giving away. So if serving is not occasionally painful or felt for you, if you're not getting joy out of experience or uh, 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 joy out of the experience of giving, your motives are flawed. Welcome to the family of God where you're free, you have infinite love and infinite acceptance and you give because that's just what we do. So plan ahead and look for routine ways to, to, to serve generously and look for moments to spontaneously serve as well. So um, we're going to respond in this way. Um, uh, Mike and Sarah are going to sing a song that, has, that just shares our hope, that tells the story of how we have the love and acceptance that we have. Um, we're going to post a link on our live chat right now uh, where you can give to the local church online. Um, you can give via text um, or through our, our um, Easy Tithe um, account. Trust me, like everything's safe, it's encrypted, it's protected. Um, but also, the biggest way that you can respond, other than giving like that, is to just um, have your hands open in front of the Lord and say, God, who is it you're calling me to serve and how is it you're calling to, me to serve? Make very clear to me what gifts, abilities, and talents that you have trusted me with and help me to steward those well. You are children of God. Let's be the family of God, okay? So let's respond.